So I would say that as I've got older, just going through the trauma, surviving it, and then having a positive outlook on the end of the, on the end of that tunnel each time, that's built that clarity. And I think also biologically that as of age, my personality, my brain have finally like, I think as they say that as you age, like your late twenties, your brain finally, your personality kind of cements. Yeah. So going through all that kind of trauma, not seeking it, but just encountering it by pursuing excellence and pursuing you know great accomplishments. That has fortified my clarity and my decisiveness for how I'm going to act, who I'm going to be, and the people I'm going to surround myself with. To me, that's where the clarity comes from, is this aging, surviving, and thriving, and continuing to persevere with what I want. Welcome to the Thought Leader Revolution with Nikki Ballou. Join the revolution. There's never been a better time in history to speak your truth, find your freedom, and make your fortune. Each week, we interview the world's top thought leaders and learn the secrets of how they built a six to seven figure practice. This episode has been brought to you by eCircleAcademy.com, the proven system to add six to seven figures a year to your thought leader practice. Welcome to another exciting episode of the podcast, The Thought Leader Revolution. I'm your host, Nikki Ballou, and boy, do we have an incredible, exciting guest lined up for you today. This gentleman is one of the leading impresarios of a fast-growing movement called The Manosphere. He runs an organization called 21 Studios, and they have a series of events called the 21 Convention. They bring in top thought leaders in the area of men's work that talk about issues like relationship, like success, like health, like having a powerful, healthy level of masculinity. I am speaking, of course, of none other than the one, the only, the legendary Anthony Dream Johnson. Welcome to the show, Anthony. Hey, Nikki. Thanks for having me on, man. Happy to be on the show. It's a total honor to have you on, my friend. So, Anthony, you are someone whose work I've been following for a while, and your uh, events are some of the most highly regarded events in the world anywhere. You bring in top thought leaders to speak at them. You've got thousands of attendees, and you've got millions of followers on social media. You've truly built for yourself a very powerful brand, a very powerful business. My listener is a man or woman who is interested in learning from someone like you who's done what they're seeking to do. They're either a coach, a consultant, a solopreneur, a thought leader, a heart leader, there's someone who wants to learn from you. So tell us your backstory, man. How'd you get to be the great Anthony Dream Johnson? Yeah, let's do it, man. So uh, I started my company, my second company when I was 17 years old, which is 21 Studios. My first one before that was a small car detailing company when I was a kid, a little mobile detailing company. I'd wash like cars, boats, stuff like that. But at 17, I had the idea to do a meetup group for young men under 21, you know, if you're 18, 19, 20 or something like that. And to do that meetup group in Orlando, and the idea would be that we would get together for a weekend. I don't know how many guys. I was thinking maybe 30 or 40 or something like that would kind of come hang out. And that we would have a uh, just a weekend where we went out and picked up girls and that we would learn from each other. I was getting a little better at that age because I was frustrated with girls growing up. I was getting phone numbers and makeouts, but I wasn't getting laid yet, which I wanted to do. And I also knew that there were guys who were better than me. They were actually both worse than me that couldn't even get a phone number and who were better and we were consistently, you know, pulling girls who were like attractive. So my idea was to do a meetup group for young men. And the minute I put that out on the internet at 17 years old in this like web form for the mystery method, the old pickup artist community, uh-huh. uh, young, young guys went absolutely a for it. They were like, holy crap, this is a great idea. People are throwing ideas at me. They're like, hey, why don't you have uh, speakers at it, like a conference? Then you can have the hotel room, you know, some at a hotel or something like that. And I'm like, yeah, it sounds like a good idea. And that was in July of 2006. This happened like real fast. It really took off back then. And before I knew it, there was a lot of riffraff throughout the year. People saying they were going to help out and then dropping out when things got serious. But basically, a year later, when I was 18 at that point, we put on the first under 21 convention, which is the first 21 convention event in July 2007. We had about 80 young men show up. And they weren't even just young. A lot of them, about half of them were about you know 21 or under. The other half, the other 40, were about in their 20s and 30s, even 40s and 50s, a little bit. We had speakers at the event. We had a volunteer film team. I paid a small audio crew to do the audio recording, stuff like that. 
and we had a successful conference. It was a two-day event, and that was Saturday, Sunday with the videos and all that. And that has become what you're now following, the 21 convention, that has become 21 studios, that has become 21 university, 21 radio, 21 podcast, uh, and all those things over the years. We've now repeated that event for a total of 15 times uh, around the world. Between then and now, so 2007, the first event, and now it's 2019, not only, have we, not only have we done the event 15 times, I've taken the event all around the world, all around Florida. We've done it in Orlando, Tampa, Miami. We've also done it in Texas. We've also done it in Sweden. We've also done it in London twice. And we've even done it in Australia, in Melbourne, Australia, back in 2012. So this convention is not just in my opinion, but is definitively the world's ultimate event for men and also the greatest event in the manosphere. No other conference like this, like a live event, has had this kind of legacy in the manosphere throughout this time period. Uh, navigating from the PUA community to beyond and other health and fitness you know, kind of realms. And then also now in the Red Pill community, what's really well known with Red Pill speakers, uh, like Rolla Tomasi, Ryan Stone, and many others. See, it's been a wild journey, man. I started this company when I was very young. I've kept it together now for 12 years, which is extremely, uh, you know, statistically extremely rare. And then I've done that with no with no other business experience other than the experience I'm doing that right now, leading this company still today. I'm the majority shareholder. I answer to no one in the company, and everything is uh, is my call. And I think I've done a pretty damn good job of that. And I'm excited to keep building it in the years to come. And I intend to do it for the rest of my life, uh, unless and until otherwise something pops up better. So let me get this straight. You started this company when you were 17, right? Yep. So right now you say it's been 12 years. So you're not quite 30 yet? Um, 30. You're I was 30. 17 only for like a month before okay. so I, you're 30. I started it. You're 30 years yeah. old. And yep. back then, like a lot of teenage men, <laughs> you know, Girls, cars, and booze were probably top uppermost in your mind. Um, Actually, I didn't. I didn't drink alcohol until I was twenty-seven when I got divorced. Okay, well there you go. <laughs> okay, so <laughs> let's take the booze out, but girls and cars <laughs> at the very least, right? Yeah. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah, and you attracted like-minded people, and at first it was, "Hey, let's meet girls." You know, let's get better at attracting great girls, and now it's grown way beyond that, right? I mean, it's uh, yeah. I want to clarify, though, that it was about – so we did actually have some health and fitness content the first year. Okay. And and you're right, though, that the primary focus of the event was, like, picking up women. But that's really, like, more of a superficial take on it. And I would say that even from the beginning, it was self-improvement-based for men or specifically back then young men. And so it was about women for sure, but it was even more so about yourself and improving your understanding of women and improving your understanding of yourself and, like, what you needed to work on. Like what kind of sticking point you have with girls, whether that's a cold approach, whether that's uh, on date, getting a phone number, learning how to have better sex, stuff like that. So it was very self-improvement focused for men, even from the start. And kind of the output, though, was like, how do I get better with girls? How do I get more fit? Stuff like that. Sure. Which are things that a lot of young men think about when they're in their late teens and early 20s, right? Yeah. Um, oh, yeah. And he here's the thing. A lot of people look down on that, you know, saying, oh, my God, you just want to look – you just want to, you know – get together yep. with girls, you want to have a good time, et cetera, et cetera, right? But what, what yep. they don't understand, I mean, I remember what it was like to be a young man in my teens and 20s. I was studious. I was good in school. I was fit. You know, I played sports. But I was terrified around women. Terrified. Oh, yeah. Absolutely terrified. The idea of approaching an attractive woman or, a, you know, a girl that I liked that I'd seen in class at school or, you know, somebody that, that uh, you know, seemed like a nice person, et cetera, et cetera, filled me with dread. I was tongue-tied. And this isn't something that I experienced just as a teenager. After I got uh, separated from my wife and divorced, when I met my current lady friend, who I've been with for almost eight years now, uh, as of the time oh, wow. we're doing this recording, the first time I, I ran into her, man, I went right back to that teenage boy feeling. I was scared out of my wits. My <laughs> tongue, wa my tongue was thick. I saw this gorgeous woman, this vision of loveliness, radiating beauty and radiating this, uh, you know, otherworldly energy, right? And and at the time, you know, I, I had just been separated and I, I, I was deeply depressed and hurt. It was like I was in the gym and God, God spoke to me and said, pay attention. That's your, your soulmate. It's her. And she was 30 yards away. 
to my right, headphones on, head down on a treadmill. And I was so scared I didn't even approach her. I did not approach her. <laughs> I spent 40 minutes, and I'm a man in my 40s, remember, you know, <laughs> at that time. And 40 minutes trying to meet this woman and failing. And I said, okay, forget it. I'm, I'm you know, I, I'm not going to bother her. She's got headphones on, you know. And I felt like that geeky 17-year-old kid yeah. who absolutely had no no game, no ability. And, you, you know, people people are rough on young, young men, but young men have it tough, man. Oh, yeah. They have it tough. Yeah. You know, we're supposed to do all the approaching. We're supposed to be the brave ones. And in this day and age with, you know, Me Too and all this stuff, you got to be careful not to come across like a total creep either, right? Uh, and, and and yet it's scary. It's it's nerve-wracking. And, and rejection is not fun when you're in your early 20s and, and you're a teenager. Hell, it's not fun at any age. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, men deal by far at any age with the vast, vast majority of rejection. And women are not accustomed to that. Women do approach men and make a move on men, but it's pretty rare. It's, it's the min- it's the rare. vast minority of their behavior over a lifetime. Men are the, have take the burden of performance and responsibility for initiating interactions. And I, I was the same way, by the way. At 16, 17, back then, trying to talk to women, even after finding the pickup artist community and learning a little bit of tips and stuff, it was terrifying. I would literally, in, in the first uh, few hundred approaches... Not a few hundred, but the first probably hundred or so, it was really bad. And then it got, it was still hard, but it took, you know, practice. But I would, I would break out in a literal sweat. I'd yeah. be uh, almost having a panic attack trying to go up and talk to girls in public. I mean, that's, that's like, it's not really serious, but that age, it feels really serious to take, to go up and talk to women in public like that that you don't know with the intent of getting her phone number or, you know, whatever you want to do. Right. See, so, yeah, I was terrifying, man. Just you, you stutter, you know, you sweat, you're just, you know, visibly kind of shaking. It's, it's funny looking back on it, but at the time it was super real fun. and super intense. It's not yeah, fun. Yeah, not fun at all. No, unless you like pain. So Yeah, and you know, some <laughs> of the some of the girls were very, you know, nice about it, even though they, they shot you yeah. down gently. Some were absolutely horrible. I remember some girls who laughed at me, yeah. you know, belittled oh, yeah. me. It, it was it was it was terrifying. Uh, good for you that you uh, kept going. <laughs> I mean, after that. Oh yeah. Back then in the day, I I would stop. I'd just say after having been shot down. Um, by somebody in, in a not so nice way, I just say, okay, forget it. So you created this community, and then you grew beyond this whole notion of becoming fitter and uh, being better with women. You grew into an organization that brought men um, an understanding of what it is to be a masculine man in the 21st century. You started to work with them on success, on how to be a successful person in their job or in their business and a whole bunch of other things. Talk about that. And, and you had 30, yeah. 40 men at your first conference. How many men went to your last conference? How many men do you expect at your next conference? Uh, we had about 80 at that, the first conference, actually. I think it was 81 was the final number. Amazing. That included a few. We had like 10 speakers. It was pretty good. So the first the event had 2007 had about 80 people, 81. The ticket price was $40 or 20 if you were a Florida resident. 2018 it was the biggest event ever. We had about 230 people, and it was the event was twice as long. It was four days or four and a half really, and the ticket price uh, ranged from 9.99 to two and a half thousand dollars. The average ticket price was uh, we're still kind of reviewing all this stuff, uh, $1,300. And also, guys bought VIP. We actually had, there were some attendees who bought. So basically, the later you buy a ticket, the more expensive it is. And the earlier you buy, the cheaper it is. There was guys at the end, though, buying tickets for two and a half thousand plus VIP for a thousand on top of that. And they were doing it with a smile. They're like, actually, they love the work that we do. They're happy to support it. They understand the ticket price went up because they waited to the last minute. So we have guys drop three and a half thousand dollars to get a ticket and VIP, you know, front row seating, special perks and stuff. And then on top of that, they'll buy a flight, hotel, all that stuff. They'll drop $5,000 to attend the conference. And then they'll buy a ticket to the next year, too. Amazing. Amazing. So you've grown your events, and you do more than one event a year these days, right? Uh, Sometimes. We've done uh, anywhere from one event a year, like in 2018 and 2017. In 2016, we did two events. In 2012, we did three events. This year, we're doing three events again as well, 2019. So depending on the year and what I want to do and what's going on, I'll increase the amount of events or decrease it or kind of change, you know, change path with it. Another thing that's really important, too, to understand is that we film all these events with really professional uh, videography. I go all out with photos and videos, photographers, whole film team. I take it extremely seriously. And then on top of that, 
we do have like some monetization for the video in terms of like our own little Netflix we built called 21 University. Yep. But eventually we publish like basically 100% of the videos, we publish them for free, free to the world. After they're like a kind of a time sensitive thing in the university, you can get them there first with no ads and stuff. So eventually the videos that we, we professionally record, they eventually go out for free and they get millions of views. Last year, 2018, we did about 10 million views. And overall, we've reached well over 30 million men in the past uh, 12 years online and putting our videos out on the web. So if, you got, if, you're, if your fans are familiar with TED Talks, sure. it's kind of like a TED, TED Talk event for men. I'm not a huge fan of TED Talks. I'm kind of mixed on them. But the, the concept's cool, you know, doing it a huge event, filming it professionally and publishing it for free. That much is very cool for what they do. And we do the, basically the same thing. I, I got to be honest with you. Uh, I, I have mixed feelings about TED Talks as well. Some of them are absolutely awesome, but uh, they, they tend to skew a particular way. They have a particular agenda and a particular point of yep. view. There's not a lot of diversity of thought. And the, the whole idea to me of having uh, thinkers is that you bring people with different points of view and you allow uh, you allow your your uh, listeners and your viewers to make up their own minds. And Ted, yep. uh, unfortunately, at the moment, has chosen not to do that. In the early days, they did. So some of their early talks with people like Simon Sinek and Tony Robbins and so forth are yeah. amazing. But some of their uh, newer talks are not as good. And um, uh, well, I think one of the reasons for that, too, is like who runs Ted? Like who is the face of it? And there are, you know, whatever they have going on. I know there's like a, what do they call it, like a caretaker or something. You know, it, Ted, Ted is not a founder-led company as far as I know. And there's definitely not a face to it as opposed to like, you know, Apple when Steve Jobs is around or my company with me around. Yeah, I'm the founder. I own the vast majority of the company. What I say goes. I do work in terms of teamwork and consensus with the speakers pretty closely. But at the end of the day, I, you know, command the event and lead it to the best of my ability. And sometimes it goes, you know, super, super well. Other times you have speed bumps and road, you know, obstacles along the way to overcome but I do believe firmly in founder-led companies being really, really important. And they're, they're different than companies that are led by bureaucracies and board of directors and stuff like that. Agreed. So I'm proud to say that I'm not just the founder, but I'm still leading it 12 years in. No, that, that's, that's very important uh, in my opinion as well. And, I, and TED definitely is not a founder-led company. TED is uh, an amorphous bureaucracy in many, many ways. But they've yep. had some wonderful speakers. I don't know if you've had a chance to, um, to ever watch Nancy Duarte. I had her on the, on the podcast. Nancy taught Steve Jobs how to present powerfully. She nice. rocks, man. I mean, this woman is incredible. So if you ever get a chance to watch her TED Talk, it's really worth uh, watching, especially if you're a professional speaker like you are and I am. Learning from yeah. a real master like that is very powerful. In fact, I bought all her books. I had her on the show, and I said, okay, I'm buying all your books. I got an intellectual crush on you, lady. And she laughed when I told her that because <laughs> uh, she is just she is just um, powerful. But hey, um, another thing about uh, my history I think your fans would really find interesting is that I was actually in college for the first four and a half years of the business. I was actually at UCF wow. in Orlando, Florida, one of the biggest colleges in the nation. And I ended up staying there for about four and a half years before dropping out. So not only did I drop out eventually at college, I was, what, 21 at the time when I finally dropped out, but I actually dropped out after failing how to start a business twice in a row as the only student in the class both semesters who owned a business and was frequently in the paper in the school, and they had one at the time, for owning the business and running it in Orlando. It's kind of an odd twist of history, I guess, that I think your fans would find. Maybe, maybe it's surprising, maybe not. Well, yeah, that's, that's also Steve the only Jobs, class that's ever failed. Steve Jobs, yep. Bill Gates, you know, both yep. of them dropped out of college. So you're in good company, pal. You're in good company. So you've built this business. You've found a lot of ways to monetize it. I mean, it just blows me away that you've had 30 million views of your videos, including 10 million last year. So this year, you're probably going to at least match that. Um, yep. And, you know, by uh, 2021, 22, you'll be in the 100 million views range. I mean, there's not a lot of people that can say that. And you, you're finding ways to monetize this while making the difference you were born to make. So we say that in thought leadership, right, there are five pillars to being known, right? And I want to go through those with you. But let me draw a distinction between 
an expert and a thought leader, because I think that's important. One of my mentors is a fellow by the name of Matt Church. He's from Australia. He runs Thought Leaders Business School, and he wrote the book, The Thought Leader Practice, which is a great book that I should put a copy of in the mail for you. Plus, I'll, I'll put a copy of my new book in the mail for you, too, because i got a new book out right now called The Thought Leader's Journey. But Matt says that an expert is someone who knows something, right? But experts are a dime a dozen, right? A thought leader is someone who's known for knowing something. So let's talk about one of your speakers, uh, who I'm assuming is also a good friend of yours, Rolo Tomasi, right? Rolo yep. Tomasi is not just an expert, right? There's, there's a lot of guys out there who put themselves out as someone who knows something about men and men's issues. But Rolo Tomasi wrote a book called The Rational Male, which has sold up teen thousands of copies, right? And he is known as the guy. He is known as that rational male. So he's actually a thought leader. So what's your comments on the distinction between an expert and a thought leader? Yeah, the first thing that came to mind when you mentioned it is there's a lot of experts in the world. I mean, take something as specific as like architecture. Any guy who's a licensed architect and has been in the field for, say, 15, 20 years is an expert in architecture, uh, almost by definition. Maybe they're not that good at it, but the chances are they're probably pretty good if they stuck around that long. So yeah, the first thing that came to mind is this licensed professionals who are good at what they do, they're an expert at it, but they're not a thought leader if they're not known for it, like Rolo is. So yeah, Rolo is a good friend. I agree with what you're saying. He is easily one of the best men in the world who is tying like a deep fundamental framework to understanding male-female relationships, and particularly female sexual strategy, and educating men on what the truth of that is in an environment where you're actively discouraged from knowing what that is. You have the blinders put on, the blue pill we call it. So Rolo is fantastic for that. And I do believe, kind of like me, like I didn't actually, I'm an entrepreneur, right? And I'm a CEO, but I started a business, 21 Studios, but the, there was no intention to start a business. And I think Rolo is kind of in the same boat, that he is above all like an intellectual and a philosopher, and he's really good at it. He's not a keyboard jockey, which is my first concern when I found his blog in 2015. This is a guy who knows it and lives it and walks his talk. He has a great relationship with his wife. His wife's beautiful. She's come out to the convention before in 2017. And that, that's the guy who's lived it and is living it now in a very specific way, you know, per his own life. And with me and my business, it's kind of the same way in the sense that I started to be under 21 convention out of a position of like personal desire and need and my own life and what, what was passionate to me at the time. It has since morphed into a business over time at necessity and finding ways to monetize it and, you know, make it survive and thrive. Kind of like Rolo putting his blog together and putting ideas together and then publishing books and doing these different things. He's falling into it in a very organic way over time that works for him. And for the same, in the same way, I've done that with 21 Studios and creating events, the best events in the world for men. I love it. That's a great tagline. The best events in the world for men. Is that your tagline? No, it's the world's ultimate event for men. But it's pretty, the best one's pretty good, too. And they are. Yeah, yeah. Uh, anyone, I, I, anyone, I like, anyone who comes out to them. Just, just yeah, between you and me, I like the best events in the world for men better than the world's ultimate. Ultimate's a, it's a good word, but it's used a lot. The best events in the world for men has just this masculine power behind it. You know what I mean? I just, when I heard that, I'm like, yeah. I want to be at the best events in the world for men. <laughs> you know, <laughs> you know, I want to be a speaker at the best events in the world for men. <laughs> yeah. If and when you attend one or speak at one someday, I think you'll find that as well. We continually, I, I try to actually raise expectations of the attendees and especially speakers and VIPs and stuff about the experience. And I do that because I know that no matter how high I raise them verbally and by talking to them, we're always going to exceed them dramatically. And this happens consistently every single time. Okay, and Anthony, it's really, it's really fun. It's I'm really going to do something that. that I very rarely do. I'm coming to your event. Yeah. We're going to talk yeah, offline. We're going to sign you up. Sign me up. I'm, I'm going to come as an attendee first. I want to be a giver. want to support yeah. with my dollars and my time. And then once we get to know each other, we'll talk about me speaking. I got a couple topics in mind that I think might be might be interesting to some of you men. Um, Sounds good. Tickets sold. Done. <laughs> done. And uh, I'll, I'll buy the VIP. I'll go one better. So, All right. So one, I think that's uh, that's powerful. So you've got an understanding of thought leadership because you've clearly branded your business and you've branded yourself the way Steve Jobs did, right? In my new book, right, uh, it's called The Thought Leader's Journey. It's a parable, 
right? It's a story of a, a young man by the name of Paolo Nestor. He's a married fellow. Uh, his wife's a beautiful, successful surgeon, a doctor. And he works for a big technology firm, and he hates it, right? Absolutely hates it. So he is too scared to go out on his own. But then in the story, he meets a guide who shows him the way, or a couple of guides that show him the way, and then he ends up doing it. One of the chapters in the book is Be Like Steve Jobs, right? Nice. And so it's chapter eight, right? And and I I start every chapter with a quote, and let me just read the Steve Jobs quote for you because I think you'll like it. It's, It's from a conversation he had with John Scully. Remember when he recruited John Scully in the 80s to come from Pepsi? Here's what he said to John Scully. Do you want to spend the rest of your life selling sugared water or do you want to change the world? That's powerful, right? I mean, you listen to that, right? And you're a John Scully who's, you know, probably like super successful and respected. And you get hit with a quote like that and, and it hits you right between the eyes. So Steve Jobs was more than an entrepreneur. He was a thought leader. He was synonymous with Apple, right? You think of Apple, what comes to mind? Especially when he led it, right? What yeah. comes to mind? Amazing company, right? Genius, genius ideas, brilliant products, visionary leadership, right? And then what do you think of Steve Jobs? Amazing guy. Genius, brilliant, visionary, right? All those things are synonymous with that company and synonymous yep. with Steve Jobs. You've done that, Anthony. You've done that with Thanks. 21 Studios. You're welcome. But listen, I'm not just saying this, you know, you know, to blow smoke, right? I'm telling you, this is what I've observed. This is why I brought you on the show, right? Because you found a way to make this brand compelling and fit in with your personality and what you're trying to do in the world. So from a business point of view, someone listening to this show is going to go, oh, wow, this is pretty cool. This guy's built a powerful brand for himself. So the first thing you did was you found something that you were passionate about, right? Now, at the time, you were you know, a young man. You were passionate about improving yourself. You were passionate about being, going from being terrified around women to being uh, good at conversing with women and attracting the kind of women that you wanted to date, right? Yeah. So that that's what it was at first, but it's gone way beyond and bigger than that. And 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 I want to I want you to speak to how you honed in on your passion for this message and how you decided that you were the right guy to bring this message out to the world. Sure. So one of the things that comes to mind is that as I've grown as a young man, uh, now I'm 30, right? Just hit finally, you know, this decade of my life. The company has grown along with me and along with my interest. So I would say that above all, as a founder-led company, that I have led the company uh, in a large extent. So not completely, but uh, who knows, 80, 90 percent or something like that. It's based on my own interest. And my interests are unique to me to a degree. But at the same time, I'm not that different from other young men my age. And, you know, as a millennial, I'm 30, right? So there are younger millennials than me. There are older millennials and even Gen Xers and stuff. They can relate to me pretty well. And I've grown up in an environment, for example, an anti, I call it like an anti-masculine age, and we call it you know, the feminine imperative and the, uh, the sisterhood of Alice, Rolo calls it. I've grown up in an age where it's increasingly not okay to be male, not okay to be a boy, not okay to be a young man, not okay to be an older man, not okay to be a father, not okay to be a grandfather. You're getting attacked and there's hostility against you at every stage of your life at this point. And that's what I've experienced very much like other young men in the West and the young boys and all that and older men too are seeing that. So a lot of it is just self-driven. Like what are my interests? Well, I was 17 when I started and I sucked with girls. And I don't think that was, let me put it this way. The intensity that I was bad was not just a reflection of like, oh, I happen to be bad with girls or whatever. It was a reflection on the environment. And I think that's why I found myself in the pickup community, the seduction community, they called it back then which is part of the manosphere, as we call it now, I found myself in a position that millions of other young men are, and older men as well were in, where it's not okay, you know, you're getting attacked now by, you know, Gillette, a razor company or whatever, for what, pro- approaching women in the street that you're attracted to? That Look what you did. That's what you did. And you now have an eight-year eight beautiful relationship from that, from what I'm hearing, right? 100%. And and that that's, that's an amazing positive thing. And you are being actively attacked by billion-dollar companies for that. That is, that is, pardon my French, that is f***ing retarded, and it's disgusting, yeah. and it's a stain on our culture. 
So on a very personal level, that's where my passion, my drive comes from. I just try to look at myself and then empathize outwards a little bit. Like, well, I'm feeling these things. I'm seeing these things. Uh, maybe I'm a genius. Maybe I'm not. But everyone else seems to be on the same page. Like, this is, this is not okay. And this is unhealthy to be around. And it's causing problems in my personal life. And then I look at my friends and they have the same concerns, a lot of the same concerns and same problems. They want to start relationships. They want to be good with women. They want to start a family. And that's getting increasingly hard to do in this environment. And, and, and other things as well, health and fitness, business, these other things. So a lot of it, I would say, is self-driven. That's how I've uh, built the company. As I look to myself and what problems am I facing and how are other men going to relate to that? And in a lot of fundamental ways, it's the same stuff, you know, regardless of where you were born in America. I'm from Florida. You know, I'm a native Floridian. But if you were born in Texas or California or New York or Washington or something, you're in a very similar position if you're in America or Canada or the West. Um, there's another part of your question. I'm not sure if I answered it yet. Yeah, I wanted you to speak to how you decided to bring your passion out. I think you just spoke to that very powerfully. And by the way, I agree with a lot of what you said. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, thanks. But the second part to the question was, how did you take that passion and develop an expertise around it that was compelling enough as a message and clear enough that people said, hey, I dig what this guy's saying. I want more of what he's saying. I want to buy yeah. what he's selling, if you will. Yeah, yeah. My first thought is brutally hard work, man. I am extremely persistent and I'm, I'm well known in a variety of in different areas of life for being just hardworking to the point, not of absurdity, but a, an extreme intensity. So for example, in the pickup artist community, I was known, uh, including my summer for speakers now who knew me back then, as the hardest working guy in any group I would partake in, in terms of going out, approaching women, and then writing about it for people to read about, as well as, you know, kind of externalized and verbalized to get my own thoughts out. So I was very well known, no matter what I've done in life, just, just work my ass off, just brutally hard work and perseverance over time, including through adversity, including through trauma, including through obstacles in the way. For example, in 2008, the second year of the convention, we did not have as many attendees as the first year. We did increase the ticket price to 100 bucks, but that did not offset having like 45 attendees instead of like 70. So there's a problem with the, you know, the cost and stuff. And we almost didn't have the event. We were able to pull it off, but barely. So it was a big, that was my first business hurdle was 2008, where we were barely able to pull the event off with the filming and stuff. So that was really traumatic because I walked out of the event in debt versus the first year I made a small profit. So the second year I walked out a couple thousand dollars in debt, which is really is trivial, right? But at 19, that's like massive. That's huge, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I had no money, you know, back then. I was a you know, kid, a teenager. And then on top of that, a week later, my best friend died of cancer that he had oh, been struggling Jesus. with for two years. I'm sorry, man. I'm so sorry I, for your loss. Thank you. It's actually his birthday, I think today, February 13th, right? Oh, wow. Yeah, there you go. So in a span of, and we didn't collect tickets online at that point, both the first year and second year were cash at the door and you had to RSVP to the event. And the first year that worked and the second year that did not work. So that I found myself in a very serious debt that was very exhausting and stressful at that time, super stressful, like, holy, what am I going to do to fix this? And then on top of that, I watched my best friend suddenly die when it was thought that he might live through it. That was kind of where, like, where we were hoping for, obviously, and what might be the case. And that was not. So that kind of trauma at that age, both of those happening at the same time, I still went out and approached women. That might not have been the best thing looking back on it, but at the time, that's what I chose to do. And I'm happy I did because it let me keep like barreling through what I wanted to do, which was get better with women. I would say it gave me a focus that was external to very tr double traumatic events at that time. I could still, you know, shower up, you know, get cleaned up, go out, talk to some girls and try to, to put all that, that trauma to the side and that distress so I don't know where I was going with that, but uh, I wonder if that answers your question. Yeah, you were, you were talking about what happened to you that almost derailed your dream and how you, you got past yeah. it, right? Okay, so that's... Oh, I, I, could, I could say this too. Another, one of the things I wanted to mention is that in 2009 and 10, I really began expanding the conference more uh, explicitly beyond pickup artistry and self-improvement with women. I started including health and fitness speakers and this is actually a big deal that's now happened a few times and that the fan base became very agitated by that because they had seen the event as something for them to focus on picking up women. And I said, no, the root of this is deeper and we're going to expand beyond that. And a lot of the fans get very angry, like a lot of hate mail that I was a traitor to the pickup artist community, all this stuff. 
And this has happened a few times since then. Most recently in 2017, when I brought in speakers like Rolo and the other Red Pill speakers, I, a lot of the fans were very angry. They didn't like the Red Pill. They saw me as a traitor to where the history of the convention, where it was at and stuff. And in both cases, whether it was health fitness content or the Red Pill speakers, I you know persevered through that with this brutally hard work, put all the, the negativity from these people aside and said, no, we're going to double down on what's good and what's positive, and I'm going to leave this no matter what it takes and both years, 17 and 18, were you know, the biggest events we've ever had and were extremely successful. Well, what's powerful about that to me is, number one, your message started to evolve. And you mm-hmm. were clear that um, you needed to have a more powerful, more complete and robust message, right? And mm-hmm. what happens when you do that is you lose some of your audience. That's normal. It's actually, if it didn't happen, it'd be weird, right? Because you're you're looking to bring in uh, people who weren't attracted to your old message. So parts of your old message are falling away. So that completely makes sense to me. It's very uh, polarizing, I feel. It is polarizing. But, you know, uh, thought leaders need to court controversy. I mean, I'm not, I'm not saying that you should deliberately go out there and uh, try to tick people off. I don't think that's the right way to go forward at all. However... If you've got something to say and you don't sugarcoat your message, you're going to have fans. You're going to have detractors. That's just the way it is. Yep. So, I yeah, I don't consider myself an outrage broker like some speakers are, maybe like Milo or something like that. I like Milo, but he's kind of over-focused on like the outrageous stuff. Yeah, he is. <laughs> I do agree with you, though, that you know, I'm, my convention, my focus is the truth and reality at a very fundamental level. And if the truth happens to be outrageous, like the red pill— well, I don't care. I care about the truth, not hurting people's feelings or them getting pissy at me or for whatever reason they want. I care about what's true and what's right and what and what I, be- that I believe that to be based on reason, evidence, and facts, not feelings and opinions and people screaming or sending me angry letters. I don't care. I'm a leader. I'm the founder of my company. I'm going to lead it in the direction that I believe is healthy and positive. And like you said, as well, comprehensive. So that's what, that's a big part of the reason as well that's included a lot of topics We've had FBI agents speak at the convention, medical doctors, psychologists, speakers like Rolo, authors, entrepreneurs, businessmen, self-defense experts. I mean, the range of topics we've covered at the 21 convention is really, really dynamic and impressive, I believe. I was at an event here in Toronto. I live in Toronto, Canada called the Men and Masculinity Summit. And this event had a, uh, a VIP dinner, and not dinner, a VIP lecture by Dr. Warren Farrell. Do you know who he is? Absolutely, yeah. Yeah, so, um, and I had Dr. Farrell on the show um, uh, a few weeks back, he, actually his episode aired, and uh, got a copy of his book on the boy crisis. That man blew me away with the breadth and depth of his knowledge because he's got something important to say, He's done the research, he's backed it up, and he's brought it to the, to the world in a way that is all based on truth. And he was in Toronto in 2016 or 17, and he spoke at the University of Toronto, and he had protesters outside the university screaming nasty invective at him. And this yep. guy, you, you know, if you know who he is, you've seen him speak. He is the gentlest, kindest guy in the world, right? I mean, he's the last yep. guy in the world who you'd think would elicit that sort of response from people. And even when they were screaming at him, he's still being gentle and kind. Like he's giving off that Jesus energy to people. <laughs> uh, and, and, and it completely neutralized the attackers. This time when he came to Toronto, that didn't happen. In fact, in Toronto, there is an organization called the Center for Men and Families, the Center for Equality, that fights to bring men's issues to the table, you know, and 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 be an advocate for men and be an advocate for boys. And I think it's a wonderful thing that folks like them and you exist and Dr. Farrell, yeah. you know, because yeah. it's necessary and needed in today's world. A lot of men feel lost, my friend. A lot of men are unsure yeah. of how to navigate the world in 2019. And uh, when they have people show them that there is a way for them to, to be a good, productive member of society and still be the best version of themselves as a man, as a masculine man, that's a wonderful mm-hmm. thing. Hell yeah. 
Yeah, hell yeah. So let's get back into the thought leadership aspect of this. So you've created a brand, a powerful brand. You've tied yourself to the company brand. That's been amazing. So the five pillars of thought leadership uh, are clarity, clarity of message, clarity of who your ideal target audience is, clarity of the, of your dream and the power of your dream. So we've been, we have been addressing this somewhat, but could you please talk about how you've gotten clearer and clearer about your message and how you've gotten clearer and clearer about who exactly your ideal target audience for your programs is? Yeah, so clarity with the message, I have been called very decisive, especially recently, and that's increased, I think, as I've gotten older. So I would say that as I've got older, I've matured like psychologically. I've gone through, I've had heartbreak, for example, but just different kind of traumas, family stuff, friend stuff, like my friend dying, heartbreak, all that, business trauma, big obstacles, problems, failures along the way. So I would say that as I've got older, just going through the trauma, surviving it, and then having a positive outlook on the end of, the, on the end of that tunnel each time, that's built that clarity. And I think also biologically that as of age, my personality and my brain have finally like, I think as they say that as you age, like your late 20s, your brain finally, your personality kind of cements. Yeah. So going through all that kind of trauma, not seeking it, but just encountering it by pursuing excellence and pursuing you know, great accomplishments, that has fortified my clarity and my decisiveness for how I'm going to act, who I'm going to be, and the people I'm going to surround myself with. To me, that's where the clarity comes from, is this aging, surviving, and thriving, and continuing to persevere with what I want. And a big part of that, again, you know, is just the personal stuff. I'm a young man in America, independent of my company and my entrepreneurship and everything I've done. I'm 30 years old. Uh, I want to be successful with the opposite sex. I want to be healthy and fit. I want to have a great life. I want to pursue happiness. I want to build a family someday. And what is it going to take to do that in this environment? And I kind of keep looking inwards and then reflecting outwards towards friends and other men that I speak with online. And we converse, we swap notes, as Ryan Stone says a lot, one of our speakers. And it's been pretty good. Uh, I've also studied a lot along the way. I'm known for having a huge book collection. Rollo was at my house recently in Orlando, Florida. And he called it, I think, like the ultimate red pill book collection or something like that. These are This is probably, um, I don't know, 100, 200 books I've collected since I was 17. And I just keep reading, man. I'm an avid reader. I do go through waves where I read for months at a time and then it kind of downplays, uh, just depending on what's going on with the business. But I love reading. I love philosophy. I love reading about, you know, whether it's objectivism from Ayn Rand or oh, I love her. She's amazing. Yeah, me too. Me too. Or, or Steve Jobs. I've read a lot of books on Steve Jobs, including Walter Isaacson's, as well as the later oh, one. That's a good book. Become, become Steve Jobs came out uh, a little bit later. So reading's been a big one over time. Education, self-education uh, is what's gone on with that. Just like the convention, you know. I, I find speakers that I want to learn from. For example, the FBI agent we had in 2017, he spent 25 years in the FBI as a uh, personality profiler for them, like dangerous personalities, like psychopaths and stuff. His books on that issue helped me, you know, come out of my traumatic experience. Um, the second part of your message was, what was it, clarity on, on your audience. clarity question, right? Yeah, it's, it's on your audience. And the audience. So I think you'll find it, this is going to be kind of a, maybe a surprise, but I don't really think about the audience very much. I'm more of like a Howard Work and that I'm going to build the best events in the world for men. So I, I guess, you know, build it and they will come. <laughs> um, I've always found the amount. Was that I've Field of Dreams, right? The, yeah, yeah, it's Field of Dreams stuff, for real. That's that's really how I run it. We don't, we've, we, for example, in 2018, we sold the event out. Like we literally had no tickets left at the end. The whole room was packed. And we did exactly $0 in advertising. Zero. So, and people criticize me for the ticket price. They say it was too high, too low. I'm like, you're just, that's the stupidest thing I've ever heard. The event was sold out. And we spent $0 on ads, which is amazing. That not, I'm not that saying, awesome. by the way, that's ideal. I'm saying we were able to do that, and that's how that played out. Are in you future, kidding me? We, we, you spent no yeah. money on marketing. You think that's a bad thing? <laughs> <laughs> I got to slap you, well, Anthony. <laughs> God. Well, we spent it in other ways, for example. So we do have an affiliate program for the speakers and a couple other people, like podcasters, that will help promote the event. Sure. And I, I hate uh, with a passion these big tech companies. I think they're not just un-American at this point, like Facebook and Twitter. I think they're anti-American and they're hostile to American values and American people. So I don't want to give them any money online. I do use YouTube a lot for the company. There isn't really a way around that. And to be fair, they've been pretty good to us you know, over the past 11 years. Uh, maybe some, a few things along the way, like shadow banning and stuff aside. But Twitter and Facebook and Instagram, you know, I don't want to give them money. I want to give my friends and my business partners and kind of colleagues, I want to give them money. I want to focus on them. 
I want to keep it within our network. And the way we do that is with affiliate sales through the speakers. So it's a win-win. They make money on promoting the tickets to their audience. It takes effort and time to build. And then we have the attendees, and then we keep building the professional events, you know, super professional that helps everybody. Both the attendees, obviously, the speakers with uh, promoting their brands and what they have, their ideas. And then also on the web, the videos go out and reach millions of men every year. For example, we just released Rolo Tomasi's keynote, The State of the Manosphere, which was uh, the first time that kind of speech was ever given. I had something I asked him to do, and I think he absolutely nailed it. So I was really happy with that. And that's already reached uh, 20,000 in just like a week and a half or something like that. I, I saw I saw the clip on YouTube. I haven't had a chance to watch it yet, but uh, Rollo's a very thoughtful guy, and I've watched a number of his um, clips on uh, Twenty One Studios. They're all excellent. I have uh, a lot of time, a lot of respect for that man and the quality of his thinking. You know, I, I don't necessarily agree with everything he says, but. Same. I think that he has given it a lot of thought. He hasn't just arrived at it, you know, willy-nilly pulling it out of the air or parroting what somebody else has done. He's a true thought leader, very, very, very I, sharp I, guy. I call him the uh, the surgeon of the manosphere. His <laughs> writing is, is is super precise and almost surgical in the way he breaks apart feminism and the feminine imperative and all these all these different, very large ideas. He's he's really good at it. I agree. Yeah, he is. I will he say is. though that I'm not. I'm not like autistic and ignoring like the target audience. So I don't really think about it very much. And I focus on what I love and, and advocating that. And it's sometimes even bragging about it. If it's worth bragging about and there's truth behind it, in fact, I'm going to brag about it 100%. I am the greatest event builder in the history of the manosphere. It's a fact at this point. It's something that I've slowly realized over the past few months with the success of the 2018 event and the legacy now of 15 events that, are, that outcompete every other manosphere type event in the world by far. Um, at the same time, though, we have an upcoming Patriarch event. So that's a fatherhood event coming up in Orlando, Florida in the spring and early May. And that's an event that we have, like, for example, we put out a viral trailer. It hit 110, it's had like 120,000 views in like 12 days now or something. And it's a, it's a trailer that is really badass and unapologetically badass and pro-man and pro-father. And it's, it, it, I don't know if you've seen it, but it does a really good job of kind of like an 80s style masculinity, like absolutely no apology for it, the way the way it was filmed and the way the music's on it and all the, the filming and stuff. But it also rides, I think, a line between like parody and seriousness very, very well. And it really triggered the out of people, including people that hate us. So it was really fun. <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna definitely watch it. I'm gonna definitely watch it. But as a father to two sons, yeah. Uh, yeah. I am definitely uh, a fan of anybody who stands up for men and boys and fathers. Uh, I think that uh, in today's world, we definitely need to do that. So, And I think, uh, let me close on this point. I think the, what was so aggravating or agitating about the trailer to people who don't like us is that it, it takes fatherhood, it takes fatherhood seriously in a sense, but also that fathers are badass, which is the exact opposite message that you see in the, in the, in America right now and in the West. I think you're a hero. You have you have reproduced. You have sons. You've done a good job. You fought to the death for them. You told me about you know not to the death literally, but morally and like psychologically, you fought your ass off to protect your son and what you thought was best for him. And that's badass. That's Appreciate not just cool. That's like that. That's deep, man. And yeah, a lot of that. I'd say the vast majority of fathers are like that. But that's why the trailer I think was so uh, aggravating to people is that it promoted that and highlighted that kind of idea. Absolutely. You know, you talked about the Gillette ad, and uh, I, I'm not here to give those guys uh, too much airtime, but there was a, um, a man who um, decided to respond to that ad, and he owned a watch company, right? Eggard yeah. Watches. And I watched, I watched his video response, and it was a very simple ad, you know, but he very directly, powerfully, and cogently laid out the facts about the trials and travails that men face in the world. You know, 98% of combat deaths are men. 93% of workplace deaths are men. You know, yep. over 90% of people in prison populations are men. 50% of uh, broken families have fathers that have no custodial rights yet still pay money for their mm -hmm. children. And they don't get lauded for that. They don't get an attaboy or a job well done for that. Back in the day, um, they did. One of the things that Warren Farrell says, and, and I believe in, in this with all my heart, is that men have been disposable 
And what made it okay is we would be held up by society as an ideal, saying, hey, this is the ideal of what a man should be like. He's ready to sacrifice himself for the people he loves, for his nation, for his family. Today, that is all gone, yet mm -hmm. men have still been expected to be disposable. And yep. as far as I'm concerned, it's our job as men to say, hey, wait a minute. <laughs> that yep. dog don't hunt. And we, we, there is no need in this world for either gender to be put down or either gender to put the other gender down to feel better about itself. I believe yeah. that with all my heart. I believe we need men. I believe we need women. Our society needs both of them to be uh, acknowledged and appreciated. I love and adore women. I think women are the best, yeah. you know? Me a too. good yeah. woman makes a man better than he thinks he is, <laughs> you know? And I'm very fortunate in that both the woman that I'm currently with as my life partner, who I work with, as well as my, my ex-wife, they are both good women. They are both standing for me to win and standing for me to do the right thing for my kids, my clients, and we need that. And that's all I have to say about that subject. I would say, too, another, what do you call it, mechanism for what you're saying is that men have had all their authority removed and yet they're expected to still burden 100% of the responsibility. So that's so all the responsibility and the liability is on men. And then, you know, they're disposable, like you're saying, I agree. And then all the authority that used to be associated with that responsibility has been stripped and given to women. That's a big problem across pretty much every facet of human life right now in the West, of American life and Canadian life and all that. Yeah. So that's, that's another way we look at it, the manosphere and the red pill. And it's a big problem, whether it's on a personal level, in a marriage— or, yeah. you know, in the family or in society more widely. It's a big deal. It, it, it's a huge deal. And if we don't start to get a grip and get serious about treating mm -hmm. men and women as true equals and valuing men as much as we value women and valuing boys as much as we value girls, our world is going to be in for a rude, rude, rude awakening. Because yeah. I can tell you this right now, that we have uh, geopolitical opponents, China, Russia, and they mm -hmm. are laughing at us. They are laughing at us for what mm -hmm. we're doing to ourselves. And we, we, uh, we need to smart up. War. They don't have a gender war no, going on. We do. They don't. And that's, that's, Rolo's been focusing on lately, and good, good on him, the, the hashtag gender war. And that's what we're seeing. We're seeing gender relations between men and women basically collapse. You're seeing the dating, the dating marketplace change. You're seeing marriage fall apart. Family formation is becoming extremely difficult and hazardous, extremely hazardous for men. Uh, like you said, fathers are paying all this child support and they get zero access to their children. I mean, the, the variety of problems of this and the irrationality behind it is really astounding. And you don't see that in China and Russia. They have much healthier relationships between men and women. Um, you know, whether or not you approve them, I think the facts are there that things are falling apart in terms of gender relations in America, and they're not in Russia, and they're not in China. These countries have a much better understanding, I think, and acceptance of how men and women are different and how they need to get along and need to respect each other in these different ways. Sure. And you know, that's evaporating in America right now. It's, it's collapsing. So what some of our speakers say, the sexual marketplace. Yeah, there's no question. But you know what? That's why you do what you do. And that's, that's why right. there's a lot of good men and women that do what they do to help the rest of us um, uh, understand this and to come to a, a post-gender war world. And I, uh, I'm an optimist. I believe it can be done. Uh, yep. And I believe that um, the West in particular, the United States of America, has faced a lot of uh, bigger challenges than this. And it has always been equal Agreed. to the task. And I believe it will be equal to the task before it in this case as well. So, Anthony, I've really enjoyed this conversation. We like to end off each and every single one of our episodes by asking you, as our guest expert, to give us, in bulletproof form, your top three expert action steps that you recommend our listener take on so that they can take their life and business to the next level. What say you? Sure. I have at least two of them. I'm not typically a coach, by the way, in terms of advice like this. I'm the guy like you who's finding people to do that and organizing <laughs> that into very large networks. But I'll say this. I was watching a video briefly earlier this morning of Dan Pena. Uh, I think it's how you say his name. He's like a billionaire. He's well known for uh, speaking his mind on entrepreneurship and success. And I think he said the best advice he's ever given anybody is just do it. And I saw that and I was like, yeah, that sounds 
great. I like this guy because <laughs> I think he's right. I'm uh, much younger than him. He's older. He's probably in his 70s or 80s now. I'm only 30. But when I heard that, my immediate reaction was, yeah, this guy hit the nail on the head. Just do it. No matter what your age is, what your excuse, what the challenges are, step up or man up and get the, get the thing done, whatever you need to do. Just like I did building my first conference. I had a whole team of people who said they were going to help me. Like I mentioned very briefly earlier in the interview, and they disappeared. The minute I put the credit card down, signed a hotel contract for the conference room, everybody almost overnight disappeared, like seven guys. All of a sudden they got serious and they realized how serious it was and they didn't want anything to do with it, that kind of responsibility. And I had a choice. I could step up and get it done or I could let my whole dream that I had been working on for months at that point. This is probably four or five months after I initially announced the idea. And I could just watch that die. And I said, no, I'm going to step up. I'm going to make a a difficult decision. I'm going to make it immediately as fast as possible and get it done. Sure as hell I did it. And here I am 12 years later. And I'm happy I did. It's changed the entire course of my life and probably saved my life in several ways. The second thing I'll say is to take your health very seriously or basically take care of yourself in every way that you can, you know, prioritize your own uh, psychological and physical health. But particularly the physical, I think, leads, it leads many things and might lead everything. So that means work out consistently, specifically strength training, lift weights, uh, go for walks, get good sunlight, get good sleep, and take vitamins, particularly vitamin D3 and K2, I think are very important. And in my opinion, you should look into, if you haven't yet, a paleo or primal style diet. It doesn't need to be to the bone. You don't need to eat like a caveman, like mimic it. But you need to respect how your fundamental, how your body arrived where it's at physically today over the past couple hundred thousand years of you know human beings being human beings, eating and evolving along the way. And if you do that, you're going to take care of yourself and stay healthy over time. Whereas a lot of, you know, many people I know between 20 and 30, I'm in better shape at 30 than I was at 20. And I was in pretty good shape then too, when I started eating and eating better and taking care of myself. And a lot of people can't say that. As time goes on, they have a pessimistic view and that plays out in real life. They get fatter and sicker and weaker over time. They suffer eventually from sarcopenia, the uh, muscle loss associated with aging over time. Women, of course, have like bone density problems once they get older. For your your younger audience, uh, the earlier you get on this, the better. So, for example, your bone density kind of peaks out at like your mid-30s, and you can't increase it anymore. But before that point, if you eat right and you lift weights and you put stress on your muscles and your bones in a healthy and safe way, you actually are going to increase your bone density. And that's going to then cap out in your mid-30s, and you're going to ride with that for the rest of your life. That's especially important for women, but even for men. You know, it's possible now with men and, you know, testosterone and all this stuff dropping off that you could, fa- you could face bone problems too later in life. But more importantly for business, just, just take care of yourself, man. It's going to feed into how your brain works every day, how you wake up, the energy you have to take on the challenges you're going to face. And if you're a solopreneur or an entrepreneur, you are going to face really serious challenges sooner or later if you're doing anything important. And I think a lot of your fans are trying to do that. That's what's going to end up happening at some point. So take care of yourself, be in good shape, stay healthy. And do the basics, sunlight, sleep, walking, lift weights, eat right, don't eat crap, and feed your body, uh, be proud of your body and you know, feed it well. Big good inputs, you know? Amazing, amazing. I love it. These are three great expert action steps. I love them. Wholeheartedly agree with every single one of them. You, you got to just do it. You got to exercise and take care of yourself. Uh, and you got you to gotta eat right. And I think the paleo style of eating is definitely a very, very effective one. So, Anthony, I know you and 21 Studios have an event coming up in May, the, the Patriarch event. It's a, yeah. it's a fatherhood type event. As a father, I'm going to attend. I'm excited to be there. Uh, a listener, Anthony and the 21 Studios are the real deal. If you're a father... Or if you have a father, (laughs) or if you know fathers in your life, this event is going to be an amazing event for you to be at. Anthony, what's the best way for them to find out about the event and register for it? Yeah, so they can go to the21convention.org. That's the21convention.org for all uh, tickets and information on events this year. And I'll also say for the Patriarch event, the special edition of the convention we're doing for fathers it's also for young men like me at 30 who want to become a father someday. So That's if you're a awesome. father now, fantastic, or, or grandfather, or for the next five to 10 years, you want to start a family, this is the event you go to where we're going to specifically focus in on that versus at the regular convention, it's a much broader kind of topic base. 
Okay, awesome. Love it. Love it, love it. And we'll get we'll get the links for that and put them in the show notes and make sure that you've got access to this. And hey, if you're a listener to the show and you want to meet me, I'm going to be sitting in the audience learning from Anthony and his guest speakers. As a father, it's very important for me to, to be the very best father that I can be. And I'm looking forward to learning from him and from his great speakers about how to do that more effectively. And listener, if you're thinking to yourself, Wow, Anthony is amazing. I want to know, can I be like Anthony? And you're wondering if that's actually possible. Here's what I have to say to you. Of course it's possible. We need to help you quiet those chattering monkeys. And the best way for you to quiet those chattering monkeys in your head is to go to our website, ecircleacademy.com, go to the top right-hand corner, click on a button that says, book your success call. You'll get to jump on the phone with me or a member of my team. And over the course of an hour, we will help you understand what your genius is. What is that message that's been trapped in your being that you can get out there and take out to the world to monetize. Or if you already know what your message is and you just want to know how to monetize it more effectively, how to have a bigger impact on the world, we'll help you do that in that call. So go to ecircleacademy.com and click on the button in the top right-hand corner to book your success call now. Anthony, thank you for being on the show, brother. That is This has been one of my favorite conversations. Thanks, Ben. It's been awesome being on the show. I'm really glad I did it. Yeah, I'm glad you did it too. And that wraps up another exciting episode of the podcast, The Thought Leader Revolution. To find out more about today's incredible guest, the inimitable one and only Anthony Dream Johnson, go to thethoughtleaderrevolution.com, look in the show notes, and to jump on a call with myself or a member of our team to help you Bring your thought leadership to a bigger audience. Go to eastercoacademy.com and click on the button in the top right-hand corner. Thank you. Until next time, goodbye.